The following program is a presentation of Grace Communion International and Grace Communion Seminary and is made possible by generous donations from viewers like you. On this episode of You're Included, author and theologian Robert T. Walker highlights who Christ is on our behalf. Our host is Dr. J. Michael Fazell. Thanks for being with us, Bob. Pleasure. Uh, you're editor of two very important books by Thomas F. Torrance, Atonement and Incarnation. Uh, and they're having a great impact. And we'd like to talk to you about the project, how it came to be, how it uh, developed, and, and you're the person to talk to. Yes. Um, well, I got um, a phone call from my old uh, classmate uh, that I shared a room with at New College uh, when we heard these lectures, and he asked me if I'd be willing to edit the lectures. Uh, he had uh, persuaded Thomas Torrance to get them published, uh, and Thomas Torrance had um, given him the manuscript, or his son had, and uh, with a note saying uh, these needed an awful lot of work before they could be published. And Jock uh, thought I was the best person to do it, so I said yes. <laughs> but I had no idea how much work was involved in doing it. But and you started in what year? 2003 or something. Uh, Thomas Torrance, uh, who actually is my uncle, uh, he, I mean, he was almost 90 by that stage, um, and his short-term memory was failing a bit. Uh, and then, but he also he had a stroke, and so he couldn't have done the job. So it involved collecting the, uh, the notes from, from the class? Uh, no, actually, because um, by the end of his career, he had had all his lectures. Uh, he read them out from a typescript, and he'd often just stop and speak off the cuff. And those were often the best parts. But the lectures as such were all typed out and duplicated first. And, and then, of course, later they were photocopied. So, uh, and then these, all these photocopies, he had, he had had somebody already put them onto computer disk. So I got a hard copy and the computer disks uh, to work with. It wasn't long before you realized that you'd need two volumes. Yes, that's right. When I looked at all the material and what wasn't there that I knew he'd given us handouts on, and like there was a missing lecture that I remember hearing, uh, a whole chapter, and then, yeah, um, I realized pretty soon we need to have two volumes. Now, how many people were involved in helping you with the project? Uh, mostly myself, uh, Jock Steen, the editor of Hansel Press, who'd initiated the whole uh, project. He was a great help. Any points that, of difficulty, uh, that just to check that I didn't, that I'd um, interpreted it right, I checked with, um, with Thomas' brother, David, so it was mostly myself. And as you went through and, and put together this material in a, in a form that uh, would be a, a book, you began to see that the, the lectures as they were prepared and, and presented uh, are a little more accessible or easier to, to read for the average person than uh, Thomas Torrance's earlier academic work is, or published work. Yes, the lectures. So they're the spoken word, 
and so they come across much better. Uh, they're more alive. Um, when he writes, the, it just becomes a little bit more, more polished. And is, uh, he, he still writes extremely well, but it just comes across you know, uh, differently. So these, these lectures are uh, easily the most accessible way into his thought. And they're also very thorough, don't they? As I recall, you had you mentioned that they that they're covering pretty much the entire range of uh, of his theological thought. Uh, they cover the whole doctrine of Christ, uh, the incarnation, uh, God becoming man, the Old Testament background, um, the whole life of Christ, uh, the I mean the atonement, uh, justification, reconciliation, redemption, resurrection, ascension. Coming again, doctrine of the church. Yeah, they're pretty full. And you also put together a, a, a synopsis uh, at the beginning that goes through everything that you're going to see as you, uh, as a reader, as you move through the book. Uh, you can get an overview at, from the very beginning. That's right. The synopsis is simply uh, all the headings, you know, lifted out of the book and put together at the beginning. But that does give a very good guide to the contents. Uh, in addition it, to the index. Yes, I found it very easy to find a topic uh, that I wanted to read about. Uh, it's easy using that synopsis and, or the index and, or together. It's uh, very easy to locate a particular area of interest. And then you also included a, a glossary of terms. Yes. It's a very user-friendly uh, book, both of them. And, Good, uh, yeah. What kind of feedback have you received from those who have been reading it? Uh, everyone says uh, they're very readable <clears throat> and uh, they've been surprised um, because Thomas Torrance has a reputation of being difficult at times. But no, my, my main aim, uh, I mean, I, the, I heard these lectures, they were unbelievably thrilling and stretching. Most exciting thing I've ever heard in all my life and ever will, because yeah, we heard the lectures every day by Wednesday when there are no lectures. And um, the content was uh, deeply moving and inspiring and thrilling. And I was just very keen to make them as reader-friendly as I possibly could. In breaking up some of the longer sentences, uh, adding lots of headings, explaining the meaning of terms that the students of the day uh, you know, uh, didn't have to have explained. But the, uh, uh, but the older reader does, so just making it reader-friendly. Now, in talking about how exciting and thrilling the lectures were, what is it about uh, Torrance's theology and his approach to uh, these fundamental issues of the, of the gospel and of Christian theology that make it uh, so thrilling and exciting, so fresh, so worth reading? Well, I think one thing is it's deeply, deeply biblical. Um, I mean, he, he, he was brought up to read the, the Bible three chapters a day and five on Sundays. He continued to do that all the way through his life. In fact, he read it two, three times each year. He is steeped in the Bible. Um, and so that, but he has this uh, Christocentric view. He interprets it in the light of its goal in Christ. Uh, and Christ uh, is the eternal son in the heart of the Trinity. And with that focus, he's able to connect uh, Christian doctrine and connect bi uh, to biblical passages. So you see, you suddenly see all sorts of connections 
and new meanings uh, in the Bible. And then it just <clears throat> gives, it brings alive the Christian faith. Uh, I mean, I felt, and why don't we get this in the church? Why aren't we taught this in the churches? And that's the reaction I get when I teach your students. They think, you know, why didn't we get this in the church? Because you know, we should do. You know, I mean, this is what they got at the Reformation, you know, under, say, Luther or Calvin. So um, I just found it hugely stimulating, enriching, uh, and exciting. What are some of the areas that, that we don't get typically in church that, uh, in other words, a person would say, well, yes, of course Christ is the center of the Bible and ties everything together. So, uh, but what is it that, that they're missing that uh, this sort of, this theology is, is uh, bringing out of the scriptures? Well, I could um, answer that question for <laughs> uh, several hours, but for example, the way in which the importance of the person of Christ, who he is, that he is God, uh, fully God, and yet fully man, and we don't make nearly enough of his, of his being fully man, but not just that, but that he himself is the union of God and man in his, in his uh, own person. So he, he's, uh, he's one reality. There's one Jesus. There's not a God Jesus and a man Jesus. There's one Jesus. And so he himself in his person, he is the union of God and man. Uh, and it's because that union that was forged and made at Bethlehem is unbreakable, that man and God will never be separated anymore, uh, that they're one in Christ. Uh, and that's the heart of our uh, Christian faith, our salvation. Uh, we are joined to Christ because he shares our humanity. Christ is God, he's joined to God. And so because of that union, uh, that's the heart of our salvation, and that's the ultimate meaning of all the great I am's of John's Gospel. So that's just one aspect of a, uh, of a deeper biblical emphasis that we often don't get. In thinking about that, uh, it seems that most Christians tend to think Jesus came, he was a human being, then he, when he, he died and went for our sins, and then he, when he's raised again, he goes back to being God. But we don't think of him typically, as still being a human being, uh, fully God, fully man. We think of him as fully God again, but what is the significance of him being fully man? Why does that matter to me in my Christian faith and my walk with Christ? It matters hugely. If we, and it's quite common to think that he's no longer man, but if he's only God, then we're here on earth, he's up in heaven, and there's a distance. Whereas if he is still man, if he's still wearing our humanity, then he's the one who prays for us, who knows what we feel like, who takes our prayers, our human prayers, and presents them to the Father. And because he shares our humanity, that's an unbroken link, you know, with him. Well, now, you just said something very, you said, he takes our prayers and presents them to the Father. Uh, so. That would mean that we don't need to worry about whether our prayers are good enough. That's exactly right. Uh, we pray, and we're called to pray, but uh, our prayers are never what they ought to be. 
but he is the one who's taken our uh, fallen humanity and perfected it. And he takes our prayers and presents them, makes them his and presents them to the Father. And that's the whole emphasis of the letter to the Hebrews, that he is our high priest. And Paul also says that if we've been saved by his death, how much more will, will we be saved by his life? Which is you know, very significant. Uh, he's saying if we've been saved by his death, how much more will we be saved by his risen life in heaven? Christian life is sharing in Christ's risen life. And if Christ has not risen as man, then we don't have that risen life to share in. What does it mean to share in his life? Usually, again, we, we think of that as, as, well, we need to follow his example. We need to obey as well as he did. And that's sharing in his life. That doesn't sound like what you're talking about. No, it's a, it's a lot more than that. Um, that he has become man in our place for us. Uh, God has become man to act as man for us. So in his whole human life, he's fulfilled everything that we ought to be doing. So it's not just a matter of trying to copy it. It's the fact that he has already done it for us and it's ours. So that his human life, his response to God is our response. Uh, that comes out very strongly in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I, like, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So properly understood, our faith is not our faith in Christ, and it's not our faith that saves us. It's Christ's faith that saved us. It's his humanity. and. We, have, we put faith in his faith, or in his human life, in his righteousness, in his human righteousness. And that's the real content of our salvation. And uh, so that we don't rely on what we do, we live out of his fullness, uh, his prayer, his life. Uh, we live in union with him. So the passages that speak of uh, we're already seated with him in, in heavenly places. That's we're right. already seated at the right hand of the Father with him. Yeah. Uh, we already have passed into eternal life. Have to do with, uh, we can take them seriously. Absolutely. Well then, in, it, so our acts of obedience that don't merit salvation for us are a participation in the righteousness. He like the prayer, you mentioned he takes our prayer uh, and he it makes it his own so that it is effective, then he takes everything we are and do in the same way then. Yes. Yes, we are, we are called to live out uh, the life that he has lived for us. And the only reason we can live it out is because he has already done it for us. So we're living out something that's already so yes. in Him. Yeah, we're living out uh, the salvation that He has won for us. Uh, so we're not, it's not a matter of going around worrying all the time that our salvation, or, or that we'll make it, let's say, make it to heaven, or that we'll measure up in some way. No, the gospel is the, the incredible uh, news, the realization that, that that 
that Jesus is not only God coming to rescue us, but he's also God coming to be man, to be man for us, to do it, even to make our response for us. And so when we make a response, I'm not making an extra response to God in addition to what Christ has made for us. I'm letting Christ's response to the Father be mine. So I'm resting on his faith. Um, and we need to have faith. But it's not faith in our faith. It's, it's resting on Christ and his human righteousness and his faith. So we trust in him, not in ideas, not in, like you said, um, we don't have faith in our faith. And a lot of times our faith is very weak. Oh, yeah. So the opposite would be true too. We don't have to worry when our faith is, is weak. We can trust that he has perfect faith for us. That's right. So our, we're trusting in him. That's right. Completely, not, not in... Oh. Now, it seems like immediately someone would argue, yes, but uh, if you actually believe that, then there's no, nothing to keep you from behaving badly, from just being disobedient, since you would say, well, I'm already taken care of in Christ, so therefore I can live in, uh, in whatever destructive way I want, and I'm still safe in Christ. How, how, how do we respond to that? That's a very, very good question, and uh, it's a key question. And that was the question that uh, Paul answered at the beginning of Romans chapter 6. Uh, because in chapter 5, Paul has basically said, we are saved. Full stop, it's been done. And chapter, at the start of chapter 6, he says, okay, does that mean we can sin? We've been saved. And he says, no. Because for one thing, if we sin, we're bringing ourselves back again on the, under the slavery of sin. But secondly, if we have been saved, we have been made new. And if we sin, we're saying we haven't been made new. We're acting a lie against what Christ has done for us. And we're falling back into sin. So that uh, the fact that we've been saved doesn't mean we, we, we don't do anything. It's actually the opposite. It liberates us to live out the life that's given to us in Christ. Um, uh, uh, we often think, and this is the way that Tom Torrance used to put it, some of God, some of man, he does his part and we now have to do our part. And he always used to emphasize it's not like that. The way it works is all of God means all of man. The fact that God has done it all, his part and our part, that actually liberates us to be come ourselves in him and to live to the full out of him because we're not worried about our having to do it. Uh, we're living out of Christ. So how do we deal with, with uh, the fact that we still do sin? Um, even though we are in Christ, we still fall short. Where, how do we uh, cope with that? Yes, and we'll continue to sin to the day we die. But we are, it's not what we do that counts, it's uh, what we are in Christ. And we are in the process of being cleansed, slowly. We never reach perfection. In fact, often the more we know Christ, the more we know our sin. And yet at the same time, <laughs> like that. But, and yet at the same time, we trust more in him.
So it's not a matter of living out of ourselves and, and concerned with how good we are or how good Christians we are. It's a matter of uh, living out of Christ, with Christ and out of him. That brings to mind the passage in Hebrews 4 about since we have such a great high priest, therefore we go to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. That's right, yes. It's yeah. as though it, it's because he's already done it. It seems to be saying, all, because he's, like you said, because he's already done everything for us and made us who we are in him, that when we fall short, it, th that grace drives us to the throne of grace yes. to find the help we need. Yeah. Well, that takes away a lot of the, well, it takes away all, doesn't it, of the, of the fear? Yes. And, and the anxiety and the worry about salvation. And, yes. Uh, yes, it liberates us. It almost sounds too easy, you know. It sounds too simple. Yes, well, it sounds like good news, but it's so good that it can't possibly be so. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's exactly right. And when somebody hears the gospel for the first time, um, I love Martin Luther's phrase. He said, it's like a cow staring at a new gate. <laughs> uh, it's, this can't be true, is it? <laughs> you know, and, but that is, that, I mean, that is exactly the impact of the gospel when we first see it. It's, uh, we're liberated and we're freed from thinking, I've got to do this. Christ has done it for us. And it's when we understand that, that that, that is the beginning of faith. That wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't drive you towards sin. No. That, that would drive you toward uh, joy. That's and, right. And toward the faith that you have to, yes. to, to live it out. Yeah. Torrance used to use the analogy of this about um, that when his little daughter was young, he used to walk with uh, his daughter and she used to hold him tightly. Yes. But um, he used to, uh, her, uh, his hand was round hers and she'd often you know, stumble. And he said, but what mattered was, was not her feeble grasp of him, but his grasp of her. Yes. And that's the same with Christ. It's not our grasp of Christ that counts. It's his grasp, uh, it's his grasp of us. Yes. Um, that raises the question of confession. We're, we're told to confess our sins, and yet uh, we're already forgiven, and our sins are taken care of. What role does confession play in the, uh, in the process? Paul speaks about on the cross, Christ took all our sins and nailed them to the cross. And there are numerous verses that speak about if when we were enemies, we were reconciled by the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we saved by his life. So there are numerous passages that indicate uh, it's been done We've been saved, and yet, yeah, we do need to confess our sins. I think that's partly for our sake, and I think it's partly that in the process of confessing, as it were, we don't bottle them up. We bring them to the surface in the light of what Christ has done for us, so that our confessing them is part of the means by which what has been done already for us in Christ, as it were, is actualized in our lives. We come to know the power of sins forgiven. 
if we can put it like that. He has already put away our sins. And yet we still live as though we have them. Uh, by, by confessing them, we, as it were, bring them to the cross. So that what they're having been put away on the cross now becomes, is verified to us, if we can put it like that. So we're taking part in, in the thing that's already so. Yes. We're participating in the reality of, of the forgiveness we already have. Well, that changes the whole way we approach uh, uh, confession then, because it, I know in my life, early on, um, I had the idea that God uh, might not forgive me, so I would have to, to, to ask more than once, and I would have to do it, and, and, and I'd keep doing it with more and more fervency and intensity until I could feel that maybe it, maybe I was convincing myself of the reality of it by just, it was as though I was asking, or let me say begging, a boss for a raise or something. It was like begging that God would forgive me until I felt like he had. And even then I wasn't sure that he might have. I, you know, why would he forgive me anyway? Because this is probably the hundredth time I've asked about the same thing. Yeah. So that changes the whole, we can, we, can, we can confess our sins knowing we're forgiven. It's almost um, a joyful thing. That's right, it should be. Um, it should be joyful repentance. We don't repent in order to be forgiven. It's forgiveness that leads us to repentance and to joyful repentance. That's the proper way to understand it. We're out of time now. It's been wonderful to talk about these things with you. Thank yes. you so much. It's a real pleasure. There's nothing I enjoy more than sharing the gospel and coming to a deeper understanding. Well, thank you for the work on these books and, uh, and for taking the time out today. Thank you. You've been watching You're Included, a production of Grace Communion International.